Life is made up of many gorgeous moments. Cherish them all, big and small, with Blue Nile. Whether it's for yourself or a loved one, Blue Nile's unrivaled selection of expertly crafted fine jewelry and statement pieces help make all your moments sparkle. Blue Nile's experts are on hand to guide you, and their diamond guarantee ensures you get the highest quality at the best price. Celebrate a life well lived in the most radiant way and save up to 30% at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Welcome to Extra Time, a web-only sports programme brought to you by the team at Radio New Zealand Sport. This week we remember the former all-black Jerry Collins, who was tragically killed in a road accident. The junior all-whites are knocked out of the under-20 football World Cup and the Magic prepare for the Swifts in the semi-finals of the Trans-Tasman Netball League. The boxer Joseph Parker sizes up his 14th professional opponent, while the Black Sticks rue a missed opportunity at the World Hockey League. And we farewell a thoroughbred horse racing legend. Tributes have been flowing this week for Jerry Collins after the former All Black and his wife were tragically killed in a car accident last Friday in the south of France. Their two-month-old daughter remains in a critical condition in hospital. Collins played 48 tests between 2001 and 2007 and was playing for the French club Narbonne at the time of his death. 1,500 Narbonne fans marched silently around their city on Sunday to honour Collins before his all-black teammates playing in France performed a haka on Thursday at the site of the accident in Béziers. A public funeral is planned in Collins' hometown of Porirua, where a permanent memorial will be established. Rodney Sooyalo was Collins' teammate for many years at Wellington, the Hurricanes and the All Blacks. When Barry Guy caught up with Sooyalo a day after the news came through, he was still in shock. It's never something easy for anyone um, to hear, you know, especially with your family and, and, and a good friend of ours, you know. So it's um, still trying to get a... You know, and come to grips with it, really. He uh, he seemed to just, uh, it was the beginning of a new chapter in everything in his, in his life as well. It seemed to be going all well. Yeah, well, um, you know, obviously passing away with his partner is, is something that, um, you know, we didn't really ex- expect, you know. He, he, he loved to to live life at its fullest and, you know, and then for him to, to be with his partner and his and his uh, child, I think it was special, you know. I mean, even though it's quite sad, it's actually for us. It's gives a bit of comfort that he just had someone with him, you know. Just uh, your time with him. What, what, what are your, you know, your, your memories, and you know, what was he about? Uh, um, yeah, he was a very interesting person. You know, he loved life and obviously just wanted to do as much as he can and hence the reason why he's, you know, he travels a lot. You know, he loves to get out there and, and get to know a lot of people. And um, But from him, he's, he's always that guy that likes to throw a little banter and little jokes. So it's, it's going to be different, you know, without him. Um, my time with the media, he seemed to have quite a, like a cheeky smile sort of thing. Was, was that him? Yeah, no, that's awesome. Um, 
you know, he's one of those players that just, that, that's what you get, you know. You get JC the way he is. Um, so there's no real pretending, he, he just, he's just him. What about on the field, a teammate and, you know, the forward pack and what memories there? Yeah, no, he's always, um, um, yeah, obviously really emotional time for us, but he's always, you know, that go-to guy, you know he's going to be there. You know, he fronts up and he'll put on his body on the line, which which is easily said, but um, for someone to actually do it, it's, you know, he'll be there. And um, and obviously playing less trail with him, it becomes that much easier. Yeah, I know uh, I've heard a few people say how sort of he, tough, you know, he played the game hard. Mm. Did you say that? Yeah, no, he always played it like that. You know, there was no 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 other way apart from just one way, you know, and that was just go hard, as hard as you can. And, um, you know, either he gets hurt or I get hurt sort of attitude, but um, preferably to hurt them. So he was he, he's always been like that, and... Uh, ever since I've known him, uh, we've known each other for a very long time. Uh, what about just uh, you know some a fun time or you know on tour and that sort of thing? You know, what, what sort of uh, particular memory or something that will make you smile? Yeah, um, oh, just 2004, we were in France and uh, we we beat uh, the French team. He he missed our captain's run. And um, Steve Anson told me that um, just to tell him, just relax, don't worry about it, just concentrate on the game. And and I would have told him that he's going to get dropped if he doesn't play that well. And he had an absolutely an outstanding game and play of the match. And you know we we smashed the French that day. And he found out after the game that it wasn't exactly what for what Shag said. And um, you know just seeing his face when he when he looked at me, he was. It's quite funny, but, you know, it's, um, yeah, you must, really. The Junior All Whites Under-20 Football World Cup campaign is over after they were knocked out by Portugal 2-1 in Hamilton on Thursday. Before 2015, New Zealand had never won a match at the tournament or progressed beyond the group stage, but playing at home, the juniors made history with a 5-1 victory over Myanmar that carried them into the knockouts. In the round of 16, the juniors put up a good fight against their much-favoured rivals who only managed to slot the winner three minutes from full-time. On Friday, Morning Report's Susie Ferguson spoke to the junior All-Whites coach, Darren Baisley. Come up against a very good team. Um, you know, Portugal are a, a team full of very, very good inter, uh, individuals. Um, they've had some great results along the way. So we were a massive underdog going into the game, but you know, we, when we spoke to the players, we... We fancied ourselves. We really thought we could get something out of the game and, and um, do something special. And as the game unfolded, I thought it was on. And when we equalised and then we had a great 10, 15 minute spell with the crowd behind us, I thought, you know, this is really going to happen and um, we were going to get that, that next goal. But uh, it didn't quite come. And then to concede so late in the game, so 87th minute, was, um, yeah, it hurt quite bad. When you get something like that happening, I guess, I mean, in some ways it's fantastic to watch. It's a great match to watch, but, but just the turmoil, I guess, that's going through your mind, going through your body at the time, it's, you know, it's high-stakes stuff, isn't it? It is, you know, and, uh, and when you get to the knockout phase, um, like we are at the moment, you know, if you, if you lose, you're out. And um, the reality is now, you know, we've got no more training, no more games, so everybody goes home. 
um, and it's finished, which is, you know, it's hard to take after such a long build-up, and, you know, it's a great tournament to be involved in. So at one stage there, we were, you know, we had um, a Portugal sort of level going into the sort of final stages of the game, and we're thinking potentially about extra time, and, you know, then you get into the rounds with penalties, and or do we, you know, can we get that extra goal and we get into the, the quarterfinals, which is uncharted for the, for New Zealand, which would have been, um, would have been awesome for us. And so now you pick yourself up, you dust yourself down, you start all over again. Yeah, well, like I say, it's knockout phase and uh, and we're out. So today, this morning, you know, we, we'll all get up and everybody goes home and you know, everyone goes back to um, to their normal lives, in, in effect. And uh, yeah, then we get to watch the last last few games of this World Cup, knowing that you know, oh, what could have been if if things had gone our way slightly differently at the end there. And just very quickly, Darren, who do you think is going to win the tournament? Well, you know, there's some, there is some good teams, but there's been some surprises at this World Cup. And, um, you know, I mean, I'd love Portugal to go on and win it now, to be able to say, you know, we came close to pushing them. It's semi-final time in the Trans-Tasman Netball League with the Queensland Firebirds hosting the Northern Mystics while the Waikato Bay of Plenty Magic are home to the New South Wales Swifts. The Swifts have already beaten the Magic in Hamilton once this season, but the Magic are in good form, having upset the Mystics in overtime to win the New Zealand Conference final just days after eliminating the Southern Steel from the competition. Stephen Hewson caught up with the Magic's goal shoot Joe Harton after the New Zealand final. I believe a nice way to put it. Um, it was a really hectic weekend, and obviously our main focus last week was going in to face the Steel and keep our final hopes alive, and then after that we really just you know, we wanted to push on and take it to the Mystics and to perform how we did on Monday was quite extraordinary for us considering the amount of injuries we've had this season and, you know, the ups and downs we've had as a team. We came through the weekend really well and I think everyone's really positive and looking forward to the challenge of the Swiss next week at home. How different is this phase of the competition, the whole knockout element of it? How much of a difference or an impact do you think it does actually have on teams? Yeah, I think there's a lot more focus, obviously. You know, you're playing for survival now, so there is a greater intensity out there from all the teams left in the the competition now. So that's what you expect with finals netball, and you know it's up to us to really step up to the mark. The conference final in Australia was a really good game of netball, and some real hard body-on-body stuff as well. So um, we've had a look at that, and we know what the Swifts are going to bring, and it's not really easy. And the Swifts, I mean, you played them earlier in the season. It was some time ago, and, and it was a loss. Does that have any bearing on things? No, I don't think it does anymore. You know, we could have played them last week and it still wouldn't have mattered in terms of the results will change in this competition. We're not going to dwell too much on the loss to them in the season. We're a completely different side now in terms of who we have on the court, but also, you know, what we're putting out there and the type of performance we're putting out there. Um, A lot of our young ones have grown and even, you know, probably some of us experienced players have changed the way we play throughout the season as well. So it's going to be a clean slate on the weekend. When you say you've changed, how how do you mean? I think for me, it's just taking a bit more responsibility, looking at the people around me, you know, how can I work best with someone, say like Marlia or Grace, and get the most out of them. Um, and also, you know, just being a bit smarter. I think when we came into the season, we didn't have too many expectations in our head because of obviously the loss of Casey, and then we lost Courtney early on as well. So, yeah, I think um, for me it's about taking that responsibility and really saying, you know, we want to make the ANZ Grand Final and this is what we have to do. How noticeable is the impact of Casey Kapoor coming back, even if she's not at 
Yeah, you know, Casey, I've said it all week, she is inspirational. I've seen her in the gym and I've seen, you know, the horrific injury obviously happened to her and the way she's fought back, it should be inspiration enough for anyone to get out there again. But, you know, for our team, she really does lift us. She's obviously a presence, but, you know, she also gets the opposition thinking as well. They don't want to play against Casey Kupua because she is just so good and they know what she brings. The Swifts, what have you made of them? Presumably, you've obviously had a look at their playoff. I think the Swifts are a really classy team, to be honest, and they're probably just, you know, behind the fibres in terms of um, the real on-form team in this competition. Um, I've obviously tracked their progress throughout the season, and I think just before that, that final conference game, they've been on a five-game winning streak, so, you know, they're heading in the right place, and they've got some real classy players, um, the likes of Shani Layton and Julie Coletto in their defence end. They're really going to be tough to you know, penetrate on Sunday. So it's about, again, being smart, using the ball wisely and, and getting the job done. So is that the, the focus then for you to, to overcome the defensive combination? Or do you think, uh, what other areas in particular do you need to focus on? I mean, it's going to be a seven-on-seven seven game on Sunday. You know, there's some class all over the court and that's this team. But um, I think their defence are particularly strong. So obviously us on attack we're going to need to keep our connections but you know down the other end they've got some world-class Australian diamond players as well so it's going to be a full seven on defense seven on attack from the Magic this weekend and like we played at the weekend playing with a lot of heart a lot of passion for, for our region and you know for our club. And the Firebirds presumably they've got to be favorites against the Mystics your thoughts there? Yeah I presume they're the favorites over the Mystics um, obviously won't pay too much attention to that game you know that's that obviously set up the winner and, and you know, the Firebirds are looking really strong and Mystics so obviously come off the back of a loss to us and they'll have to travel. But, um, you know, never say never in this competition. Um, if the Mystics step up on their day, they can really bring it to the Firebirds. The New Zealand heavyweight boxing champion Joseph Parker says while he's not at world championship level yet, he's confident he knows how to get there. Parker has recently spent time training with the world champion Vladimir Klitschko. The undefeated Parker returns to the ring this week in Palmerston North for his 14th professional bout against the German champion Jakob Salem, who's won 34 from 38 and 31 by way of knockout. The 23-year-old Parker says seven sparring sessions with Klitschko in Miami have given him plenty of confidence. It's a pretty long camp, but um, it's been a great camp. I think nine or ten weeks where we had our training in Vegas for two weeks. Uh, we went over to the Klitschko camp in Florida. Um, now you've got some great experience uh, watching the, uh, the champion, how he operates, and then another six weeks in Vegas where you know, put in the hard yards. So you know, me and uh, my training partner, Easy, were definitely ready for you know, Saturday's challenge. Are you like, um, I don't know, starstruck and stuff when you were with Klitschko and I know you met Tyson and stuff? Did, yeah. Does that blow you away? Yeah, well, I was like, uh, you know, when I was young, I always looked up to all these guys, and when I first met them, I was actually starstruck. And then the opportunity to get to spar with them, and even when I met Tyson, I was, you know, I was like, oh, damn, look, it's a, it's a champ. So yeah. I was definitely excited. Yeah. And I asked for a photo, like, you know, everyone does. You got a star like them, so, yeah. You got a bit of sparring with Klitschko, too. Yeah, we got, we got yeah. some good sparring with Klitschko. It was a great uh, opportunity for me and Yuzu uh, to go over there and, and test ourselves against the champ. And um, sparring was awesome, you know, we gave him the best work we had. And uh, you know, the champ, um, they said we gave him some, some good work, so that was good to hear. How did you find it? I found it good. I was a bit nervous at first, but um, once he told me to relax and, and just, just do what I have to do, which is to get in there and do my best, um, everything started flowing better. And then I um, started to pick up my confidence. And by the end of the sparring camp, you know, I, was, I was happy and wanted to do more rounds with the champ. 
was it tougher than you thought? How did you find him? I found him uh, sparring. He was, uh, you know, you can see why he's a champ uh, for 10 years. You know, he's uh, perfected a style which works for him, and it's quite hard to, to get in there. With him, he's, um, uh, he's real good defensively. So um, we, we had uh, maybe a lot of, maybe seven sparring sessions, and we're just working on ways to be able to get in there and, and, um, and do our thing. So we just uh, relaxed, and, um, and they gave him the best work we could, and, and he was happy, and, and our team was happy as well. So you're not in there going, I'm out of my depth, this is just ridiculous, this guy's so much better than me, or anything like that? No, you know, I, I got in there, like I said in the beginning, a bit nervous, but once I sort of got the hang of it and yeah. felt what the champ had, and I felt yeah. like, you know, this could be me one day, you know, yeah. I'm not too far off, like yeah. I am far off, but not, sure. I can I can get there if I keep uh, yeah. focusing and taking the right um, steps to get there. Was yeah. that the, the biggest thing you got out of it, to, to realise that you could be there? Yeah, the biggest thing is like, realising that I could be there one day, um, at that position, but also seeing how the champ operates as he, um, he, he definitely focuses on all the small details that a lot of people forget about, and even though sometimes you see him, he's a bit tired in uh, a few sessions, he always tries his best to stay focused on doing everything right. So that's something I took out of it and uh, something that I'm trying to do as well in my training sessions. You know, sometimes I feel tired and sore and um, there's pain everywhere, but you just got to focus and you know, stick to what you have to do. So what do you know about your, your next opponent, the, the German champ? Yeah, um, his record's awesome. There's uh, 34 wins, uh, three losses, and about 31 of them by knockout. So... I think he's going to know that we offered the fight to a lot of other opponents in the top 20 or top 15 in the world and a lot of them turned it down so um, for him to accept the, the fight means that he's um, he knows that he's, he can win, he, he knows that he's prepared and I know that he's going to come you know, um, fit and strong. And, and his style? His style is like, uh, he likes to throw big big bombs and uh, sometimes they're a little bit dirty so I have to you know, look out for that as we have other fights planned for the year. and. He, he likes to put under pressure, so me and Kevin have been working on a style that we think will uh, will work um, with, with this fighter. I, I think it's a big step up in, in, uh, for an opponent who has a lot of power. Um, class, I'm not quite sure if he's the best tec- technically, but I think with a power, um, it's a big step up for us, as you can see with his record. Do you worry about getting hit, getting hurt, or do you worry about losing, or do the two things go together? How does it work? I think with the, the training that we do, if we know that we put in all the training that we, we can, like I mean, put in the hard yards in yeah. training camp, then I think we come in with a, a fresh mind, yeah. a clear mind that you know that you've done the hard work, so you, know, you feel confident within yourself and what you can do. When such a hit you, were you rocked? Were you like, oh, I'm okay? Or? I, I, um, I, was I didn't really get hit much, which I'm yeah. happy about. Good. I mean, I guess you don't want to. Kevin was telling me to move my head, move my head, <laughs> so I thought I did move my head and keep yeah. my hands up and didn't hit me as much, so I didn't really feel anything uh, too big, which worried me. That's, that's good. <laughs> You've got a busy schedule by the sound of it, if, if you want you know, more fights in there. Yeah, year, so. yeah we're, we're planning to have you know, a lot more fights, uh, maybe five more fights or four more fights before the end of the year, and it's a it's a, a plan that my team's happy with. All of us are happy with the schedule. You know, it's uh, keeping busy is good. You know, you're gaining experience in the ring, um, you're learning your craft, and you're also keeping busy where you don't have time to go eat off bad foods and fast foods like I always enjoy, you know, pies and chips and burgers. Do you get to go back? Is Klitschko getting another opportunity to go back there? Uh, um, by the sounds of at the end of the camp, his, his team you know, approached us and said, no, thank you and to you and Izu for doing a great job of this uh, training camp. Uh, we appreciate the work that you guys give and um, hopefully in the future when we need you again, we'll give you a call. So uh, I think there is an option of going back into training camp and sparring with him again. I would like to, to fight him forever, but I think um, I'm still not at that level. Sure. Like, if that I, has I, to be the end goal, though, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, that is the end goal, to fight someone at the top. Yeah. And when, but um, his fitness is just incredible. You know, yeah. He spars 
uh, 12 rounds four four days a week and I no, we don't that's 48 rounds we do 48 rounds in probably one camp so that's, he's a beast when you, when you think about training and he trains morning and evening just ruthless The New Zealand men's hockey team have missed their first opportunity to qualify for next year's Rio Olympics after failing to make the semi-finals of the World League tournament in Buenos Aires. They were beaten in a penalty shootout in their quarterfinal by Canada, who are ranked eight places below them. New Zealand now go into a series of qualification matches for fifth to eighth and must finish as high as possible to keep their Olympic hopes alive. Barry Guy spoke with coach Colin Batch after the game, who was bitterly disappointed. Yeah, there's no doubt about that. The players are uh, gutted and finding it hard to come to terms with the, the loss. Losing shootouts is always tough. Uh, we had some good moments in the shootouts. Um, we thought we had a winner with uh, one, one shot going in and they blew for eight seconds, so... You know, the, the countdown clock beaters on that occasion and then another one for the win, we uh, hit the crossbar. So we didn't have much luck in the shootouts. Two goalkeepers, Devon Meng, test for us was outstanding and uh, the Canadian goalkeeper did pretty well as, as well. So certainly disappointing to lose in that fashion. Are you disappointed too in the in the game because the Canadians, you know, they were defensive, of course, but they just they, they just appeared to try and foil you in any way possible? Well, we thought that was the way that they would play. We didn't play as well as what we could have. Uh, Canada didn't allow us to. So, you know, there's a lot of disappointment in uh, what we did up front. We weren't threatened that much in uh, deep defence. So we really needed to uh, perform better in the attacking area, including finishing uh, the chances that we had. Uh, the, the goalkeeper played pretty well, but we needed to finish those. And uh, that was... Uh, more disappointing for me that we played that way rather than the final bit with the shootouts. And missing your first opportunity to get to the Olympics, I know everyone before the tournament talked about, you know, you want to get your first, you know, this is the best way to get there, and, you know, you've missed yep. that now. Yeah, we'll be kicking ourselves for that. I think that's part of the disappointment with the players for sure that we had a golden opportunity playing against Canada. It was a good matchup for us, so, you know, that's... A missed opportunity for sure. The next opportunity we will have is uh, to play in the Oceania Cup uh, at home in October. So we'll, we'll face Australia there and we would have to beat Australia, the number one of the team in the world, to actually qualify for Rio. And I understand, you know, you're still going to try and finish fifth in this because there's a roundabout way of still getting to the Olympics even if you don't beat Australia. Well, there is. And, you know, the definition is fifth position, you know, We'll face, uh, we could face Korea or a, a, a Spanish team, so um, they'll be tough uh, in a very tough situation as us, so we've got some challenging matches ahead, that's for sure. Here's a little story that we think should be told about a famous Kiwi who is only three years old. He crushed his shoulder badly, thought he'd never make it back. His courage saw him through, and now he's storming down the track. His name's Bone Crusher. He's going for the gap. Bone Crusher. Should be our greatest since Farlap. Come on, Bone. That's the Bone Crusher song, written for the thoroughbred racehorse and 18-time winner of the same name. 
The legendary racehorse was put down last week after a lengthy illness caused by hoof disease. He was 32. Bonecrusher made his mark on the Australasian racing scene in the mid to late 1980s, winning the Cox Plate and stringing together seven consecutive Group 1 race wins. His victory in Melbourne over fellow New Zealand horse Waverley Star in the 1986 Cox Plate was dubbed the race of the century. Bonecrusher's trainer, Frank Ritchie, told Stephen Hewson he'll most remember the victories the horse achieved when he wasn't at his best. People always remember the Cox Plate and the Australian Cups and races like that, but the races I probably remember as much as any um, are the ones where he wasn't, for whatever circumstances prevailed at the time, wasn't at his best, um, and, uh, but he still got through, through heart and will. You know, we could only do so much for him in, in later years. The wear and tear of, of high-level racing gets to them, and, and uh, he was he was just he still wouldn't lay down. He just wanted to win so much, and that's you know that's the, the uh, most impressive thing about the horse. As a trainer, I mean, what is it that you see that makes a horse stand out like like Bone Crusher did? Well, we bought him as a young horse, and um, he was he was uh, nice choice. He wasn't that that expensive, um, but because his pedigree was was pretty much um, moderate. He was uh, nice and athletic, but there are a hundred of those too each year. Um, it, it obviously is difficult to define um, what what makes them extra special, um, but uh, until they do it, um, but he, uh, he he showed us plenty from from the start. But I've, I've been asked many times, for instance, you know, when did you think he was, shall we say, your champion? And that was only only I knew that he could do something champion. Uh, qualities um, once it was actually done, and that was the Tancred. So you know that was that was the first time even I was in Orion, knowing full well he's uh, how good a horse he was. Personality-wise, yeah, he he could be a bit of aloof. You know, if he didn't want to be bothered with you, he didn't want to be bothered with you. That probably falls in line with the fact when you've got a horse um, of that value and and that quality, and and you always got one eye on him and, and one eye on the rest of the world to make sure that he stays healthy and well. Um, they get to spend a lot of time with the horse. You know, the horse has to spend a lot of time in human company. He got a bit sick of that from time to time. I recall in Melbourne at once during this Cox Plate period when he was he won the three group ones in a row. Um, the competition amongst the papers to get photos of him was pretty intense, and um, and so we requested we got hold of all the papers and requested that the the the, the hours that which we had the horse out exercising. They could take 100 photos each time, but even we didn't go and see him in the middle of the day and at certain periods of the day just to give him some rest time away from, from it all because um, he did get a bit sick of that sort of thing. But, but generally, a kind horse, um, you know, no, no problems that way. Did he know he was special? I think he did. I think he did. I think they do. Um, I guess it's, 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 it's like a child. If you, know, if, you, if you give a child enough attention and uh, tell them how good they are, um, they'll start to believe that the horse can that can be manifested the horse by all the fuss we make of him and and so on and so on and uh, you know in a in a manner of speaking yes I, I think they do disappointment I suppose would be the Japan Cup huge disappointment um, um, there's much made of the uh, after the cock spotted how it, it um, really knocked the two horses around um, I don't believe, and I'm sure Dave O'Sullivan doesn't believe, that Waverley Star, that, that that's true. Those horses were super fit for that race, and that's the key. They can only recover from something like that if they, were, if they were really well. And both horses were really well. 
Um, Waverly Star went on to win a, a Fuji Stakes in Japan by eight lengths um, after that, and Bone Crusher, I believe, would have won that Japan Cup. I know it's easy to say that, but his work had been sensational before he, he copped the lung infection, and um, it was a huge disappointment. It would have put him on the world stage, and, and I think from the horse's point of view, that's what disappointed me most. Do you think he missed racing when he, when he retired? That's an interesting question. Um, I, I put it this way, when he had many exhibition gallops, um, if you call them that, you know, he used to lead out fields for, for the derby occasionally. He went to Mooney Valley and let out a Cox Plate uh, again after that. And when he did go, and this is when he was 16, 17 even, um, he'd pull the riders out of the saddle like he just wanted to get out there and race again. And he just thought, here I am, and I'm, I'm back into this. And um, so that will to get out and compete never lost him. So if you can call that missing it, I guess that's what he did. What do you think made him so popular, I mean, apart from simply being successful? Part of it was his name. He, um, if, if, when Peter rang me and told me um, I was going to call that horse Bone Crusher, the first thing that struck me is that is the worst name you could ever give a horse who was useless. If he'd gone out and run last couple of times, people said, well, that's what you get deserved for calling a horse, something like that. But in the end, it fitted the horse brilliantly um, because of his fighting qualities, his you know his inability to give in, and um, close finishes that he and when he prevailed, um, and the press had a ball with it. I remember one of the headlines after the Cox Plate, for instance, close to the bone, um, and 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 crushed him, and all those sort of things. You know, they, and I think the public that that helped a lot. Um, but I, just, I think just just the fact that that um, when he on that occasion when he shouldn't have won and he still did um, that one half. Where did the name come from? But he when he was a foal he was um, a weanling. He was in a, in a paddock with uh, three or four other uh, weanlings and and they were running uh, through uh, from one paddock to the other through a gateway and uh, he was on the outside and caught his shoulder on the gate as they were running through. They were running through in numbers. And, uh, and he tore back, the, uh, it looked terrible, it was a big flap of skin on, on the shoulder. Fortunately, he actually didn't do any damage to the bone, um, but it was right on the, on the shoulder there. And, um, and so the scar was there forever. So um, when we found out that story from the breeders, um, that's how the name came up. That's extra time for this week. You can send your feedback to sport at radionz.co.nz. I'm Ben Robinson. Thanks for listening. 